We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jake Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums-to-be and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here Here we go. go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie and everybody listening. How are we this week? We are good this week. How are you? I am so good because this week I went away for two nights with my husband on a baby moon and it was just... You know, I think I've been pretty open with the ups and downs of this pregnancy and I've never doubted us throughout the pregnancy, but we definitely haven't been as connected, you know, as normal throughout this time. And it was so nice to just finish a conversation together talk if we wanted to talk, but not talk if we didn't want to talk. Did you let Nick finish a conversation? No, never. I never let anyone finish a conversation. Don't be silly. I'm not a completely changed woman, but he's so used to it. He wouldn't even know what getting to the end of the sentence feels like. But we played Monopoly Deal. We went out for lots of food. Like it was just really, really nice. And I was feeling good. I finally feel like I've turned a bit of a corner so I could properly enjoy it. And I napped and I'm not a napper. And it was just, it was really, really nice. So if you're toying up, whether to go on a baby moon, especially if you have other kids, try and, you know, get it together to be able to do it because we never did it when I was pregnant with Goldie because it just seemed all too much. You know, it's a busy time of the year and I'm so glad that we, you know, and you can just do something simple, but it was just nice to get out of that bedtime routine just, you know, just before you throw another human (laughs) on the pile. Um, So I feel really good. It's nice to just be reminded that I'm like, yes. Oh, how nice. We are good together. That's so nice. And you do. Sometimes you need one or two nights just to appreciate that. So if you can do it, definitely do it. I actually had a up and down moment this week. Mm -hmm. So it was my... A wedding. high and low in one. Well, kind of. So it was my wedding anniversary yes. of five years, which is an absolute high. But the downside was my husband had pneumonia. Mm. And romance. I totally, I was like at the start, you know, when men have like, they have man flu, like they're yeah. very dramatic. At the start, I was like, oh, this cough is so annoying. Like I, I just can't stand the cough. Don't breathe. It's just too much. Anyway, I was kind of like, oh, I feel like I was writing him a prescription. Like, all right, so let's just think about it. For about five to six days, you're going to be highly dramatic. Then you're going to be like, oh, I need this, this, and this. Anyway, I felt so bad when the first antibiotic didn't work and it turned out that he actually had pneumonia on his lungs. Poor guy. I left him on the weekend to have a whole house by himself just so he could sit and the doctor gave him orders please just sit on the couch you cannot do anything I call him do you think I could just mow the lawn like just sit on the mower do you think I could just like go out and have a swim in the ocean I'm like what part of sitting on the couch do you not understand so the whole part yeah but I was like try and enjoy it try and think of it as a positive like you get to have time reading a book or finishing an episode there are no kids interrupting you so I felt like he had his own little mini break while you guys were having your own all he needed was a little bit of pneumonia that's it so if anyone you want to get pneumonia and have two days that's, off. That's how fucked parenthood is. Although most of the time you've got pneumonia and you still have to keep looking I after know. the kids. But how messed up is that? That it's like, enjoy the little break as you're hucking up a lung. So I'm going to try and book in a little day date or a night date this week just so we can have a little, oh, I love you. No, yeah. I love you. Yeah. Which will be nice. Make sure he's stopped coughing by then so he doesn't 100%. annoy you. 100%. Now I have a Rudolph Fabulous for us this week. Go. Of 
course, it started with PS, love the pod ladies, and yep, you know I voted for you, MVP. <laughs> I think voting's closed, but. Has it? Yeah. Well, we really should have pumped that up a bit more. I thought to myself the other week, oh, we'll go real hard at the end. <laughs> I think it's finished. Yeah. You know you know us, we always try. very organised. Yeah. We can use that as the excuse yeah. when we don't win. Um, so I was having a shower with my 16-month-old son after a very dirty camping trip. We were both standing up. I was washing shampoo out of my hair, so I had my eyes closed. My son has picked up the scalp brush that my husband uses and started brushing my overgrown pubic hair with it. Quite the shock. Very rude that it's in a state where it's long enough to be brushed, but <laughs> fabulous. No, no part was fabulous. It was just plain rude. Girl, don't you worry. Mine could be brushed right now too, but I can't see it. She so can't see, it doesn't matter. is bliss. And she said, next step is I'm teaching him how to plan. <laughs> oh, yuck. <laughs> that is great. Who cares? Embrace the bush. Okay. I think the bush is back. I Look. People can just, do whatever they want. That's just convenient yeah. for me. <laughs> do whatever you want. Hey, how many people before they've like gone into labour have tried to shave their vag and they miss bits and yeah. there's just like it's so hard. But they think, oh, gosh, what if some, like the doctor sees. I remember the first time I had Mia, the only time I had Mia, and I ended up on all fours spread out, didn't care who was coming in and out. It was like don't even worry about it. I think it. the least of your concerns is your pubic hair, oh, totally. to be honest. No. Okay, I have, I thought it was a mum hack, but she also thinks it's a rude or fabulous, so we'll let you guys. We love a hybrid. Yeah. Okay, this is from Bianca. When I was at school, my hem used to always fall down on my dress. My mum didn't know how to sew, so she used to staple it up with a stapler. Rude or fabulous? We were talking about mum hacks at work the other day and realised I had to share it with you guys. Also, thank you for the podcast. Okay, I'll stop. But then she said, I have to add to this. The textiles teacher used to always fix it at lunchtime. Again, Rudolph. That would be me because I'm the parent that like never has a sewing kit at home. Like I can't find a band aid when I need one. Nah. So that'll be me. I'll be, we probably don't. I don't. We don't even own a stapler. I don't even think I've got sticky tape. Nah. In mine. What didn't you have the other day that I was like, how did you not have it? A can opener. A can opener. Yeah. yeah. But no, that is fabulous. Yes, it is. The textile teacher ended up doing it anyway. So Genius. win. So mum hack, fabulous, all of the above. Loved it. Now we're going to get into today's episode. It is a little bit more serious, but I feel like the way Rochelle speaks about it, it feels lighthearted. I feel like I learned so much. Rochelle speaks about her journey having had an eating disorder for most of her life. She speaks about, you know, some of the triggers of that. I do want to give a trigger warning mm. that obviously eating disorders, disordered eating is discussed in this episode and so is sexual abuse, child sexual abuse. So if you don't feel like, you know, that's something you want to listen to right now, that is totally fine. You can wait for next week's episode. And if you do want to get in contact with Lifeline or the Butterfly and Foundation after listening to this, we have linked their contact details in the show notes. Yeah, I found even though we were speaking throughout this episode, listening back to it, it was actually quite confronting only because it is such a taboo topic. Not yeah. a lot of people... Uh, open up the way that Rochelle has. So I really commend her for doing that. And I also deeply want to apologize for how blocked my nose was on this day because that's all I can hear when I speak. So if you can just ignore that, that would be fabulous. I do think uh, listening to it with a lens of being a parent is quite confronting yeah. too because, you know, we already have these worries about our children. So, yeah, just keep that in mind if you're deciding whether to listen mm. or not. But we thank Rochelle so much for her strength and her honesty and for raising awareness about both of these issues. We hope you enjoy. Hello, Rochelle, and welcome back back to the podcast. How exciting to have you back on. For those who haven't heard our first chat with you, which was kind of centered around your experience as a first generation Australian, um, we're going to be talking about something a little bit different today. But for those who haven't come across you on social media or haven't listened to that podcast before, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. So thanks for having me again, ladies. Um, my name's Rochelle. I was born in Australia, but my parents were refugees 
Please. So growing up as a first generation Australian, I have two little kids, Willow and Arden. Willow is five going on 15 and um, Arden is three. And I think I'm done. I think I'm done. I think I'm two and two and done. And ironically, my last name is Curry because I'm married into that. So my original last name was Gunaratnam, but my married surname is Curry. So it's just like the irony of being Sri Lankan and Mrs. Curry is just like. <laughs> that is so good. You're the only one who's allowed to say that. We're yeah. not allowed to make no jokes comment. about that. No comment. <laughs> It's <laughs> oh, great. But yeah, that's me. Now, you're here today to speak to us about your journey with having an eating disorder or having yeah. disordered eating throughout your life. On social media recently, you've been speaking about your recovery and, and shining a bit more of a light around eating disorders and what that can look like for the victim or the sufferer of the eating disorder. We felt like because neither of us have had real personal experiences with this, but you know, our listenership is very much predominantly women. We're yeah. about to be between us, the mother of six, the mothers of six girls not saying this doesn't affect boys but obviously it disproportionately affects girls and women so yeah we really wanted to get you on to have a chat about what your experience has been like and then what your recovery has been like and we thank you so much for your strength in talking about this and thanks for coming on yeah it's been something I've been dealing with probably well, since I was 13, so I'm 33. So that's like 20 years, right? Yeah. My maths is right. Yeah. Um, so it all kind of started, I was like a fairly like normal child. I mean, like a little bit chubby, but not, you know, just normal for my body. But I think I was probably like a size 10 or 12 in primary school, which, you know, it's not that big, but I used to think I was big because, you know, kids were little and, and whatever. And I got to high school and I remember we went to um, the uniform shop to buy my school uniform for year seven. And I got, you know, two size 12 dresses or something, you know. And so I was like starting year seven, very normal, average weight. And then I was sexually abused by a family member when I was, I feel like I was 12 or 13. It was definitely that year seven sort of age. And so suddenly I went from being like a size 12 to a size 18. Like I gained 30 kilos in the span of three months. And I remember that very clearly because I was like, why have I gained all this weight? Like I couldn't put two and two together. I was 13. I was a child. Did you block that out at the time? Kind of, but like I, I, th- I think I didn't think that's why I was gaining weight. I, in my head, I was like, I'm gaining weight because I'm lazy. Like that was like the thought process in my head. But, you know, obviously looking back now and, and having done therapy and, and learning about research into childhood sexual abuse and lots of stuff, I, I realize now that that's actually just a very natural progression. Like a lot of children that are sexually abused suddenly gain a lot of weight and it's a way for them to to protect themselves, I suppose. As in because society tells you you're less attractive if you're Correct. bigger? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's very, very common. And generally, like my therapist was telling me that there's also a link with like that's kind of where binge eating can sort of start because I suppose it's a way to cope with everything that's going on. So I gained all this weight and I just remember my school uniform suddenly didn't fit. And my parents, obviously, you know, bless them, just ignorant to everything going on. I had no idea why. And my sister actually went to my high school, but moved to a different school in year nine. So I was in year seven, she was in year nine, but she went to like a specialist, one of those smart schools. So she, her uniform was left over and she was a lot more broader than me. So her uniform fit me. So suddenly I was wearing, and I remember my mum being like, why did I buy another uniform for you? Blah, 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 blah. Obviously no idea what was going on. And like I was the just biggest like, inconvenience was the school yeah, uniform. The yeah, uniform. Yeah. 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 And so anyway, luckily I had a dress that I could wear and there was no, anyway, so I, I ended up wearing her uniform for the rest of my high school years. And when I was in year nine, so, so it all sort of stopped it. Like the abuse kind of, I, I, I can remember the first time and I can remember the last time, but I can't remember a lot in between. So it, it repeated. Yes. Yeah. And I suppose because this person was a family member, it was um, very easy to kind of go under the radar, I suppose. Did I you know, know that it was like, did you realize there was anything? I don't want to say, can we say like there was something wrong with yeah, what yeah. was happening? Yeah. I knew it was wrong. I didn't know what it was. So at the time I thought sexual abuse was rape only. And that's yeah. not what was happening. It was other stuff. And so I thought I'm not being sexually abused, but this is not nice kind of thing was what I sort of thought. And then so it kind of, it all stopped within probably a six month period. I can't remember. I just remember the last time I was like, this has to stop. I don't right. like this. And then it stopped. And then 
in year nine, I was in like a health and human development class or something. And they were talking about sexual abuse. And I remember like asking the teacher, I'm like, is sexual abuse just rape? And they were like, no, it's anything. And so they were kind of going over. And I was like, oh my God, I think that happened to me. And so I opened up to my sister and cousin and I was like, I think I've been sexually abused. And they were like, what? And so I told them what had happened, but in like a 16, 15 year old, you know, very, yeah. yeah, very brushed over, not overly into details, just kind of like, I think that's happened, but I'm not sure. And so I told the psychologist at school or the school counselor what had happened and Obviously, they did the right thing and said that we need to report this to the police. But being a Sri Lankan teenager, I was like, oh, no, we can't do that. Like, I'm going to get in so much trouble. Like, I thought I was going to get in so much trouble. I thought, like, my family were going to be really mad at me. I thought my parents were going to be like, why would you do it? Like, I don't know. I just thought all the things. You just thought you were going to be an inconvenience. I thought I was going to be I feel like that's so your biggest trouble. fear when you're a kid is, a kid, exactly. is causing anyone extra stress. Exactly. Yeah. And so then I just switched my story to, to them and I said, oh, no, I'm making this up for attention. And oh. the teachers knew. Like, my, yeah. I remember my year-level coordinator brought me into her office at one point and she was like I know you're not lying but I can't help you if you keep saying that this is, you've made this up because that's that's what you're saying and she's like I know you're telling the truth you know you're telling the truth but if that's what you're going to say there's nothing I can did do. your parents know at this time no so I had actually told I'm an auntie and my mum had had like a heart operation two years prior and she was like don't leave mum she'll have a heart attack oh anyway. my gosh <laughs> So I didn't. And yeah, horrible advice. Um, but anyway, it is. So can it, it not be reported even if you're now denying it, if there's strong enough suspicion that you're now just lying about it? I would say now you could, but I would say maybe 20 years ago. Yeah. I'm not sure what the yeah, I'm not sure what the, the deal was then. But definitely now I think you one hundred percent could. Yeah. Anyway, like fast forward, you know, teenagers, I was very overweight in high school. And then, and then started to lose weight quite naturally after I finished high school, but then developed bulimia purging sort of thing after that, because I was so scared to gain weight after I'll go back to that, but back to the sexual abuse, I did eventually end up telling my parents, but not until Willow was two because this person was in our lives. Right. Oh my gosh. So you've had to put up with this person for all those years. Yeah. And so now I have a daughter and I didn't want to invite them to like birthday parties and things. And my mum was like, why are you inviting them? I was like, well, I just, I just don't want them there. And, you know, she was like, well, you know, it's really embarrassing for me when everyone's like, why isn't he here? And I'm like, I don't know, Rochelle said, you know, whatever. And so she was kind of making it about her. And I was like, all right, well, I need to tell you what's happening yeah, yeah. so that you understand. And so I, um, I told them what happened and Again, probably in a very similar 13-year-old way, just kind of explained, just brushed over things. So my mum kind of was like, okay. But, you know, still was a bit, you know, a couple of years later, it was Arden's birthday and my mum's like, oh, so we're inviting him. And I'm like, no, like you still know why no. And then she was like, I think she thought he hugged me inappropriately, like just gave me an inappropriate hug one time. And then I had to go in. So I was like, I don't know what you think happened, but I was like, I'm going to spell it out. And so I named events that she would remember. I named like, you know, and then I literally had to spell it out. And then she was outraged. She was like, oh my God. And she's like, did your dad know? She's like, who else knows? Did you tell? Like, you know, and I was like, well, this auntie knows, this auntie knows. And she was like, oh my God. Like she was so outraged. And I was like, this is why I don't want him around. Yeah. Like, because, you know, and it was funny. Well, not funny, but I even told my sister and she was like, you never went into that much de- detail. You were very much brushing her. And she was like, I didn't even realize the severity. I just thought it was, you know, a couple of little, you know, encounters. Like she's like, I didn't know that it was this severe. And so, yeah, it was kind of like, it wasn't until I'd really gone to therapy and talked through all of that with my therapist that I was like, oh, I can actually articulate this, not have shame over it because it, it wasn't my fault. And it was so freeing because it was like, I don't have anything to be embarrassed about. Whereas I think before I was like, this is really embarrassing. We had me. no tools to understand yeah. if it was your fault or not. And also I think at a young age, like I didn't even know what sex or anything like that was until I was in my early teens. I just I didn't have that conversation. No. So if something goes on with your body and someone's doing that, it would be extremely confusing time. Very confusing. And so I think one thing that I've been very much you know, it's just like 
creating that environment with my kids where it's like nothing you say is going to get you in trouble. Yeah. But also just being really aware of who they're spending yeah. time with and like I'm very careful with who I leave my kids with and, and all that sort of thing. But it's just, it's, yeah, I guess it's like an, another layer of awareness. So how do you as a parent now, like obviously your mum had no idea. The people mm. around you had no idea. Even when you slightly explained it, it was seen as, oh, he makes you uncomfortable. Maybe he shouldn't have put his hands that low when he hugged you. How do you then leave your kids with people? And that's not in a a judging, blamey way, but you know, no one had any idea. This was a, this was a trustworthy in quotations person in your life. Yeah. I think it's been, I definitely have like a little bit of anxiety with people that I don't know. But to be honest, I've never left my children with people I don't know ever Yeah, or like don't know very well. My son who is three, I've never left him anywhere with like, for example, he's only been left with my husband my mother-in-law and my parents and my sister. That's the only people that have been left with. Willow, on the other hand, can, you know, have a conversation with me and, and explain things. But she, in terms of her, she's only been left with a friend that that's from our mother's group and she's only been going to their house literally in the last year. So prior yeah. to that, and I really was like, I need to know, I know their family, I know they, like I know everyone. But, yeah, there's definitely, and, you know, when I pick her up, there's a lot of conversation like so what, what did you do like what, you know what, you know and it's just it's very much like I suppose it's like the whole thing is just about conversation but in terms of like you know she's starting prep next year to school with no one we know yeah that's scary because I'm like okay they're like that's we don't know anyone you know talking about school camps and all that sort of thing like that definitely gives me a bit of like oh my gosh like I you know school camps were fine for me growing up but yeah there's 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 a lot of fear there and I think it's it's definitely something I am working through with my therapist because it's like I need to keep her safe but I also need to give her a little bit of independence so it's like where's the balance between keeping her safe, but also allowing her to kind yeah. of, you know, make mistakes and, and like, and meet new people in, in a safe way. That's not, you know, when we go to parties, I will say that when we go to parties where there's lots and lots of people, I either don't take them or if my husband's with me, one of us at all times needs to know where they are. So it's very tiring, I suppose. <laughs> But you have to be on all, at all times, don't you? Yeah. And so I know like one time we went to a party, there was lots of people and like every two seconds, like if I could see my husband, I was like, can you see them? Can you see them? Where are they? Where are yeah. they? Like, where are they? Yeah. And so I think, yeah, it's, it's just, is what it is, I suppose. And um, do you think that's a projection? Because did you find that when it happened to you, it was always like mm-hmm. when the parents were busy or there were lots of people around? Yeah. And it's just easy to kind of get away. Yeah. And so I guess that would be different for every survivor based on yeah. what their situation was. I go to a lot of events and people will be like, where are your kids? It's like, oh, why didn't you bring them? And it's like, oh, I just wanted to have a good time. And, and to be fair, it genuinely is. Sometimes I just want to be yeah. able to relax. I like every not, mom. <laughs> yeah. but, but sometimes it's like I just want to be able to go somewhere and not have to be like, where are they, where are they, where are they all the time? Yeah, so it's a lot more for you to go with your children. You can't relax and actually yeah. take in probably a full conversation because you're always mindful Looking as to them, where correct. they are more than the average Yeah parent yeah correct and I also need to get into like the mindset and, I, and I've definitely done it before where I think oh well Arden's safe because he's a boy but that's ne- that's not at all the case yeah so it's like you know it's it's definitely a, a balancing act because I feel like there are times where we go to parties and then I suppose they would sense my anxiousness as well and so they're kind of like all over me and so it's like, well, I, I want you to have a good time. Yeah. yeah. I also want to make sure you're safe. So it's like finding that balance. But yeah, I, I suppose I'm still like learning how to navigate that. And actually a couple of months ago, we went to a, a, a birthday party, a family one, and this particular per- this family member was there and he was being very, he just like, he wanted Willow to sit on his lap. Oh my and goodness. I was like, yeah, no. And so I just grabbed her and like literally I was like, chatting to my cousins and I could see it in the corner of my eye and I was like one second like, Hello. you know and I was like you, you you're staying with mum all night and like you know it was just and I think it was after that in- incident where I really explained it to my parents because I was like like yeah. if, if this person's around like I need your eyes like 
everyone needs to be protecting my kid. Kids. I can't yeah. believe the expectation is that you still socialize with oh, this person. Yeah. I, I genuinely don't know if it's a cultural thing. You know, I talk to my mum a lot. Well, not a lot. Like This comes up in conversation every now and then. And I, I would say that she'd probably been sexually abused as well. Not that she has ever said it, but just like little comments that she makes. But I think, and I don't know that this is always the case in, in every Sri Lankan or Indian family, but definitely in ours, it's very much like everything just gets swept, swept under yeah. the rug and we'll just pretend like it's all okay. And I think for me, it's like, well, no, like it's not because that's just no. And, you know, explaining to my mum, I think, you know, we had this big DM a couple of months ago and I said to her, I was like, you know, when you don't deal with trauma, like it, it manifests in other ways. It can, it can cause like chronic illness. It can cause, you know, all sorts of different things like back pain. And, and, and when I explained it like that, she was like, oh, maybe I do need to go to a psychologist. Uh, which yeah. is, which is a big call for the older generation to actually yeah. even, I was going to say, I don't even think that. that's necessarily just cultural. You've probably yeah. got the combination of cultural and generational, generational differences in the way that we look at these things. Yeah. Do you think you will tell Willow why you're like hypervigilant about those types yeah, of things? I will. I think when she's an age where it's probably when she's in high school and it's, um, we talk about trust a lot because she, she likes to lie. I mean, what kid doesn't? <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's, it's getting a bit she's out of learning. hand. <laughs> getting a bit out of hand. And so we, we, we're having a lot of conversation about trust and, you know, just sort of saying like, we like I, like I like I want a relationship with you where like when you're in high school and you want to go shopping with your friends, I can trust that that's what you're doing and and let you go, as opposed to being like no I can't because I don't you know I don't know what you're doing and so she's kind of understanding like oh okay well yeah telling the truth is actually better yeah and telling the truth isn't going to get me in trouble yeah, yeah. but it's just that it's just yeah fostering that relationship but 100% I will be very open with her I've been open with her about a lot of things even though she's only five and so when she's at the age like I definitely will be open with her about about this the the caveat to me in dealing with my eating disorder was hearing her make a comment about food and vomit like eating too much and then vomiting or something that I can't quite remember but she'd said something and my husband was like oh did you hear that and I was just like did she just say something and so I was like what did you just say and I think she was like I've eaten too much Um, I need to go vomit or something and I was like oh okay like this is the thing I need so you had a form of bulimia correct and um I obviously thought it was very well hidden. Did your husband know? Yeah, yeah. So literally our whole marriage, I've been on and off to him, probably on all the time for me. Like there have been times where it's been very obvious and times where it's not. But um, five or six years ago, I actually became like clinically anorexic and then everyone knew about it because I looked a certain way. So everyone was like very much like, you're you're unwell, you're unwell. Like, you know, you need to get help because I was very skinny. And so I, I did get help was able to gain weight, but I was still bulimic. But it's funny how when you don't look a certain way, yeah. suddenly everyone thinks you're fine. Oh, and so yeah. it was very easy to hide for a long time because I just, I looked normal, you know, I looked well. And it wasn't until Willow sort of said that, that I kind of was like, and actually Arden said something as well. And that also was like, oh my goodness, like my kids have 100% picked up on this. And when I found an amazing therapist, I actually had a really bad therapy it's really hard to find good help. Um, So I really feel for people in this boat because it's one really difficult to say you have an issue, like a problem, then actually get help. But to find help that is good is also very difficult. And my GP, I had a very honest relationship with her and she knew, like I told her and I would be getting like low iron on my blood tests and I'd be like it's so weird like I don't know why I have low iron like I eat meat and she was like it's because you're throwing up and I was like yeah oh yeah right that makes I suppose that makes sense and you know she would be like so how are we going like you know every time I'd go in to see her she'd be like how many times are we purging and it's something that I hid very well that I'd suppose like you know my family probably only thought it was like once every couple of days but I mean it was literally like 20 times a day which is exhausting so exhausting. So it's not just after every meal. It was after every meal. It was coffee. It was everything, everything, absolutely everything. And then naturally your body is sending you food signals because it's hungry. So then all you think about is food. And so it's just a vicious cycle because your body's hungry in starvation mode. 
you are eating, but then you're throwing it up, but then you're eating more because your body's telling you to eat more because it's hungry. So it's this super vicious cycle. I had no idea that's what was happening. I just thought I was food crazy. Like I was just like, all I think about is food. Like this is just my life. And I thought this was just my lot in life. This is just what I was going to have to live with for the rest of my life. And until like my therapist really explained it to me and, and you know, like the hunger signals and, and what's actually going on in your brain and the fact that your brain isn't fully functioning, you need to start eating in order for those parts of your brain to wake up to help kind of deal with the recovery. It's just, it's, it's really, yeah, it's really crazy. And for me, both my kids after having them, I struggled with, like, I didn't lose weight, but like breastfeeding. I just could not lose baby weight. So I'd get, I'd have my babies and then I would just, until I stopped breastfeeding, I couldn't actually lose weight. And I thought that was just my body. But actually what it was, was that my body was storing fat because it knew that it needed to feed another child. So it would, it would store the fat. And literally as soon as I stopped breastfeeding, I would lose the weight, but it was only because it was like, it's a very intuitive, your body's very smart. It knows what it's doing. But I just thought, oh, I'm just one of those unlucky people that can't lose weight breastfeeding. It's like, no, your body's just it knows what it needs to do. And so, yeah, that was really hard having kids. And I remember having Arden because I'd experienced that with Willow. And then, you know, there are so many things with Willow when I had her, like I went on light and easy straight away. I was doing weight watches and and not ticking that I was breastfeeding or pregnant. So I would, so I could lose weight and just really silly things in hindsight. But I just, I was so my, I felt like my identity was all wrapped up in how I looked. I thought every time I went out, someone would look at me and be like, gee, she's gotten big. But, you know, like no one thinks that. And if no, they do, they're assholes. So. But, yeah. you know, whatever. It's just like that's kind of where I thought every time anyone looked at me, all they could see was like how I looked. And so it just consumed me. Like I didn't want to go places. And, and I was really embarrassed going somewhere after having, you know, because I'd be like, oh, well, she's six months now. I should have lost weight, but I haven't. And it's just silly that these are the conversations that are happening in my head, not with anyone else. It's just, it's all in my head. And yeah, so like navigating that as a new mum, like I feel for any anyone that's had, um, and I've actually since opening up about this online, had so many people reach out to me and say that that was the exact same experience they had in terms of like the breastfeeding. And they were like, I had no idea that it was just, yeah. it was actually my body doing the right thing in, in, in trying to nourish a child. But instead it was like, you know, it made them skip meals and, and do all sorts of things thinking that they could lose weight because they weren't losing weight. But, you know, it's just, yeah, it's such a vicious. vicious and we are sold this tale so often that if you breastfeed, the weight will just fall off you. So if Definitely. you've already had disordered eating and then you're thinking, oh, breastfeeding is going to be this tool that I can use, this very like quote unquote natural tool that I can exactly. use and it's doing the opposite. Well, I can only imagine how much that fucks with you mentally where you're like, not only is that not working, but I need to work twice as hard. Twice as hard. I remember reading, um, so Willow like was a very low weight gaining baby. And I imagine it had a lot to do with my milk supply or the quality of the milk. I don't know. But I remember the, my maternal child health nurse mentioning sort of mixed feeding. So doing the formula as well. And literally in the conversation though, I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Sounds good. I went home and I'm like, there's no way I'm doing that because like, if I give her a formula, then I can't, you know, burn calories breastfeeding and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Like that was, that was, a, but eventually I did do both formula and breast milk because like the poor kid was starving and, you know, there's fed his best. Like yeah. it doesn't matter what you feed them. Just but it's just amazing that that's the first place your mind went to. Went, and literally I remember like pumping and I would have like a timer on and then I was Googling like how many calories do you burn pumping? And so I would just pump for like, you know, an hour at a time because I, and then I'd be like, oh, well, I think I've burnt this many calories. And it's like, oh my God, like now that I think about it, like it's so exhausting that, but again, it was because I had seen online all these women having babies and just fitting back into their pre-baby clothes. And I would be like, why isn't that happening for me? And I think, yeah, sometimes like social media can be amazing, but sometimes it can be so damaging for people thinking that, you know, everyone's journey is the same because it's not like, you know, everyone. And is majority, different. let's be serious right now, majority of what's on social media is not even a certain percentage of the reality of their lives. Like, yeah. you know, especially postpartum, I've had three kids. It is a wild ass ride. And even I'm 
quite open, but you know, people are just not sharing, and they don't. Not that they have. And it's to. actually not possible to show the full reality. Like you can, it's like true. no you matter can't. how quote unquote real you try to be, you can never show what the exact reality is of twenty four hours of a day. I actually exactly. had a friend growing up, and her mother used to throw up and she she knew that she did and I started noticing that my friend as she got older would start throwing up so I assumed that she has just followed in her mother's footsteps but then she had children and continued to throw up and it got to a point where she looked really unwell and she could eat chocolate and she could eat and like she would really almost gloat on the fact that she could have whatever she wanted. Mm. But then after you have some time with her, you always just go, where's she gone? And you kind of knew where she went. But watching a loved one Mm. with an eating disorder, how do you genuinely go about talking to them about it? Uh, They're very secretive. It's very isolating. Mm -hmm. How on earth and, and, you know, I was a thin girl growing up, so she would look at me and go, well, you don't understand. You, you're, you're skinny. And I actually had issues being skinny. I'd wear three layers of stockings to school because I was being teased for being called chicken legs. Like Ooh. everyone from every avenue has issues with their, their body because of the way the fucking public perceives them. But what are, what is some, like, Sorry, I'm just, it's overwhelming. How do you speak to a loved one about it? Yeah, I, I, I was very open with my sister. And I think, to be honest, for a long time, I just wasn't ready to do the work, which is, you know, a thing that she would say to me all the time. For me, my sister, and I'm sure she'll be okay with me sharing this, is very open about having a binge eating disorder. So she wasn't bulimic, but for her it was like the binge eating was her. Can you you just elaborate on what binge eating actually is? Yeah, so it's, I suppose, just eating uncontrollably, whether it's, and, and generally it's, it's you know, outside of mealtimes. It's, again, usually done in secret. So in bedrooms, you know, you just eat lots of food, whether it's like chocolate, ice cream, Essentially, like I think I've read on online that a binge eat, eating episode can be anywhere between like, you know, you could consume like 3,000 calories in one binge eating episode. And so for me, I, I suppose I did a little bit of that, but then I threw everything up. But for her, it was it was the opposite. And, you know, it's interesting, like our upbringing, there's, I'm sure there's so much there that just the reality of, of having immigrant parents and, and all sorts of things. And, you know, a mum that I'm sure had personal depression. So it obviously manifested in different ways in both of us. But for me, she actually got help, talked about it. And I saw so much change in her. And I was like, oh my gosh, like if you can get better, then I can get better. Like it was kind of like I needed to see it in someone else. It honestly was like the one thing that gave me the courage to get help. I think another thing that would have would be amazing is it, now that I've talked to a lot of my close friends and, and have, you know, opened up about the fact that I was throwing up 20 times a day. Like, they, like you know, it's, it's genuinely like they were like, you were living through this and not telling us. And I was like, yeah. And they were like, you know, for them, they were like, I had one friend that was, you know, crying and she was like, I can't believe you felt like you had to live like that with me, like that you couldn't open up about that and that you felt that that was something you had to hide. But I was like, there's so much shame attached to it because you feel like a failure. Every time you do it, you're like, this is going to be the last time I do it. And I think like with addiction, in some ways it is an addiction, but there's so much more language or discussions about things like alcohol or drugs and, and that sort of addiction. Whereas this is, I guess it's a bit of a taboo topic because you can be addicted to drugs and alcohol and I suppose you can get it out of your system, but food is something you need. Yeah, you can't just abstain, yeah. You can't just, like, how do you deal with an addiction to food when it's something you need to live? And I think it's taboo also because it's almost seen as like, and this is not how I see it, but it's like she's so vain that she has an eating disorder when really the crux of it is not vanity. It's not. It's it's almost like, oh, she's so, she finds how she looks so important that she or he is doing this to themselves, which is not what it is at all. It's not. It is a control issue, isn't it? 
it's a control thing for me. It was definitely like, I felt like I had control over it with the binge eating. It was like, I could be out of control, but then I could get the control back really quickly. Yeah. I suppose was kind of like the narrative in my head. But I think for me, if someone that you know is, is, is struggling with this or you think they are, and you're not sure, I would say the best thing you can do is just, you know, just, just love them, be there for them, tell them that like, they're not crazy. They're not, it's like, it's totally a normal thing for people to deal with. Like it's not an abnormal addiction or, you know, if they don't want to say addiction, like it's not an abnormal, like that so many people, you know, I think for me, I think I remember reading that princess Diana had bulimia and I was like, Whoa, like if she had it, that's crazy because like she has everything or, you know, like it was, it was just sort of like, so many people deal with it, but I think this is really important to note. I don't think people understand the help that's available. So being in Australia, I'm not sure about international. So if you've got international listed, I'm not sure what, how it works over there, but in Australia, you can actually get an eating disorder plan, which is a a thing that you get from your GP. Like a mental Um, health plan? Like a mental health plan, but an eating disorder plan at the moment, I don't know if that'll change in the near future, gives you 40 subsidized psychology sessions. Wow. Yeah. So I think a mental health plan gives you 10, maybe 20, but an eating disorder plan gives you 40. And it also allows you to divide them up between, say you do like 30 psych sessions and, and 10 dietitian. Whether if, if you need like relearning on food, that's something you can do, but it is, it is 40. And the thing with dealing with an eating disorder is you need to do, well, not, I don't know if you need to do it, but for me, what's worked is cognitive behavior therapy. And that can only be really achieved if you have weekly sessions so let me just tell anyone this now because I made this mistake with the first person I went to if they can't offer you weekly sessions it is a waste of money like it is not going to work because you need especially in that first sort of 10 10 sessions it has to be weekly because fortnightly there's just too big of a gap and I, I also think if you're seeing a therapist who's not asking you what a bad day looks like like they need to know, like they need to know what a good day looks like and what a bad day looks like. For for me, a good day was like throwing up five times a day and a bad day was like 30 times a day or, or something crazy. Like, it, you know, my therapist even said to me, it's a miracle because there's a lot of damage that gets done to your heart. Well, it's not damage, but it puts a lot of pressure on your heart, binging and purging. And, you know, she'd said to me so many times, like, it's a miracle you didn't have a heart attack yeah. in the Pilates class. And I was like, and I kind of like laughed about it. And she was like, I'm not joking. Like, it's like, you literally could have died on the Pilates bed because, you know, like your heart is going through so much. Well, there was a girl at our school and she would walk down the corridor emaciated. Mm. And the doctor said, if you don't stop this, there's going to be a hole that's going to burn through in your throat and you are not going to be able to eat anymore because of the vomiting it was just burning her esophagus well I find that in pregnancy towards the end of Poppy's pregnancy I was starting to vomit blood because of all the irritation on my esophagus from vomiting and that was you know that was vomiting multiple times a day um, obviously for very different reasons but ongoing 20 to 30 times times a day you can only think about the damage that can be caused like I've even found the damage I feel that my hyperemesis has caused on my pelvic floor and things like that from the the pressures and obviously pregnancy on top of that too but it's like it's a a violent act it's not something that's Mm. yeah like the reality yeah. of it, that's that's shocking. It's Yeah, it does. It really does do damage to your body. And I, yeah, I mean, like when I was anorexic, I had a therapist and, and her whole thing was she would tell me about people that reminded her of me that, that were previous patients. And she would be like, do you want to know what they're doing now? And I'm like, I would love to know. Like, how are they going out? They're dead. Oh, oh okay. And it would just be like, there were so many and at that time, you know, I was anorexic and I had low potassium and all sorts of things were going on in my body. And and she was kind of like very much like, I know the media will try and tell you that this is nothing and it's okay, but it's actually very serious. Yeah. And I think for me, it was like, I've got kids now and well, one, I don't want to pass this on to them, but like, I want to be able to live like a, a good life and I want to be able to like live a long time and see them do things. And, and it was just like this huge like wait and I felt like I was like living a lie is like the best way I can describe it so 
you know, I was launching my brand and doing all these things and, and having kids and, and all sorts of things. And, but in, deep down, I was dealing with this constant battle. And I think I always just felt like I wasn't 100% authentic. And I, there was something that I was always having to hide. And actually recently went away with these girls I do Pilates with. And I just want to say they're the most amazing women. They're all different ages, different body shapes. It's just the most uplifting group of friends I have. And we booked this trip whilst I was still, uh, I hadn't recovered yet. And I remember thinking, how am I going to hide this from them for five days? Like, how am I going to hide this? Like, how are they, you know, what am I going to do? Like, what's the toilet situation like there? Like, these are the things that I would think about. Like, you know, like, what do we do if we go out for lunch? And I'm so grateful that I recovered by the time the thing came, but that was something that I was definitely like constantly thinking about. And just to be like now, like I'm not living a lie anymore. It's just, it's so freeing. And yeah, I just want anyone that's dealing, you know, I've had people reach out um, and, and, and ask like, you know, things that have helped me. And I suppose things that have helped me have been, well, obviously therapy has been a massive one. I have gone on medication. And prior to this, I was probably like, oh, like I don't take Panadol if I've got a headache. So I was not a hundred percent about medication. And now I'm like the biggest advocate. I'm like, Get on the pills. We're not pills for everyone. But yeah, 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 yeah. Pills and health therapy. Do both. Like, don't just do yeah, both. Always do um, both. But do both. And I think, like, that really helped me. One of the girls I do Pilates with is a perinatal psychiatrist. She was explaining to me. So I reached out to her first when I when my psych sort of mentioned the, the idea of going on medications. And, I, and she's like, you know, you, you think about it, like do some research. Like, I'm not going to tell you to do it, but you know, at the end of the day, like it's your decision. And so I reached out to her about the type of medication they mentioned. And I was kind of like, do you know much about this? Like, what's the long-term effects? Are there any long-term effects? You know? And she was like, it's very safe. It's been around for a long time, but she was like, think of it like this. If your body was not producing enough insulin, you would have no problem taking insulin because you would be like, well, my body needs it to survive. And in the same way, it's like your brain is not producing serotonin and your brain needs serotonin in order for you to live a normal functioning life. So it's it's literally just giving something that your brain's not producing right now. And I suppose like when you think of it like that, like, well, yeah, if I had diabetes, I wouldn't think twice about taking insulin. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's, this, it's the same it thing. It comes back body. to shame though, doesn't it? It all, it 100% does. And so I think that had really helped, but also just being vulnerable, being having like safe people. I went out for brunch recently and, and as soon as I got there, someone mentioned that they needed to eat healthy that day. And I was like, Oh God. <laughs> but I was like, Oh, I'm so glad that didn't affect me. Cause in the past I would have been like, Oh, I was totally going to order the chili scramble. But now that you've said that I should just get poached eggs and spinach, you know, like that would have yeah. been my, which I would have gone and thrown up anyway, but it, it doesn't affect me anymore. But I honestly think that keeping my mind active, so being creative, listening to music and, and just being able to kind of like, I suppose, but I honestly think the medication has given my brain a break that yeah. it needed for so long. Oh gosh, um, you'd feel and so it's an antidepressant like that. Yeah, yeah. it's an antidepressant. Yeah, yeah, it's an antidepressant and it's just, it's been incredible. And, and it's funny, like I'll tell, I'll tell you a story, my mum, She's so funny. Love her. Uh, when I told her I was on the antidepressants, she was like, what? What do you mean? You're happy, Rochelle. <laughs> and I was like, it's for my brain. She's like, what do you mean you need medicine for your brain? I'm like, it's fine. She's like, oh my God, I don't need to listen to this rubbish. It was literally her words. I was like, okay, mom. And then like a few, few days later, I, I sat her down and I explained it. And I was like, mom, I've been throwing up for 12 years. And she was like, I could tell she was getting uncomfortable. I'm like, no, no, like you're going to listen yeah. to this. And so I like, I spelled it all out. And then I said, I'm on this medication. And then I explained, you know, I explained the diabetes thing and then literally, and then explained the serotonin thing. And I explained how it made me feel better. And then literally she's like, maybe I need some more pills. I'm like, <laughs> you definitely need it <laughs> but yeah like it's just I think for me it's been interesting because I've seen all this um and I don't know I believe in God I believe in like things happening for a reason and I prior to this like I mean obviously you ladies know about my business and I found it very hard and it was just I felt like I was like pushing brick walls trying to get stuff to happen and it's like as soon as I dealt with this eating yeah. disorder and, and was in recovery suddenly things were just happening and I was like I almost feel like it was meant to be that way because had all of that happened then 
I probably would have been like snowed under. My eating disorder probably would have gotten so much worse and I just wouldn't have been able to cope. Like I wouldn't have had the tools to be able to cope with motherhood, business, eating disorder, like juggling everything. Whereas now it's like, oh, I can, I can do one thing at a time and it's, it's okay. And so it's just, yeah, it's, it's amazing. How, well, I don't like, I doubt think- that. I, I'm, th- I'm thinking about even having a thought process 30 times a day is overwhelming and all-consuming and would be hard to function, let alone participating in an action 30 yeah. times. Like it, it doesn't, I'm not saying that you weren't succeeding in other areas of your life, but that's got to dramatically impact the energy, time, everything Absolutely. that you have to put into anything else. And what you're telling yourself, like the, the damage yeah. it's doing every time, it's it's awful. So you're saying in terms of getting some help, seeing a therapist, you've gone on medication, obviously everybody's different, but how like if you actually have gone from vomiting 30 times a day, what is the sort of process after seeing a therapist going on medication? Like where are you at yeah, so there's this also this really good app and it's called Rise Up. So it's basically like a meal log. So in recovery, when um, with your therapist, they often ask you to write down everything you've eaten, plus whether you've purged it, whether you thoughts and feelings you might have had, all sorts of things. Like you need to write it down. That sounds counterintuitive. I thought you, yeah. Yes. But someone's created an app and it's great. So basically you can like log a meal and it's, you know, you pick what it is, whether it's breakfast, you write down what it is, who you ate with, how you felt, and then whether you binged it or or purged it or whatever. But it's really great because once you've done that, it gives you a little affirmation, you know, and I used to, I was like, this is so nice. It would give you that. But also when you're working with a therapist, you can export it. So it's a lot easier than writing it down. Yeah. It's really hard doing that, but you can just export the PDF and it sends it to them. One thing I found with my therapist is I actually wasn't eating enough. So on the days when I, so obviously there was a couple of weeks where it was like, I was still purging a little bit. And then it got to a point where I wasn't purging and I was able to keep everything down. But when she looked at it, she was like, you are not eating enough. She's like, how many times do you do Pilates? You're quite active. And in my head, I'm eating a 1200 calorie diet because I think that's normal, which it's not. But in my head, I'm like, I'm just going to eat 1200 calories. That's, that's the normal amount to eat. And it's like, well, no, it's not like, that's what you eat in deficit, but you don't need to be in deficit. Like it's just anyway. And so I still found that my brain kept thinking about food. Like it was, I still like all that I would think about was food. And so we started to add extra food into my, into my day. And she was like, how does this make you feel? Like, are you, are you stressed about it? And I was like, no, it's okay. I can add this. I can add that. And so we're adding just little things into my day to eat. Once I'd gotten to the point where that had become normal. So it might've taken like a two week period. Suddenly I'm not thinking about food anymore because my brain's not sending me these signals. So I no longer think about food. Whereas before I would be at work sitting at my desk and I'd be like, when can I eat? When can I eat? What can I eat? What's there to eat? Is there something to eat? And like, oh, maybe I need to have a tea. Maybe I need to have a cup. Like I was just always thinking about food. But once I had given my body enough fuel, I suppose, I was like, oh, I'm not thinking about food anymore. Like this is crazy. But it's, it's, it's wild that you would think that in order to deal with this, you actually need to eat. And then your body naturally stops sending you so those messages. So that mindset change happened faster than you would have assumed it would have. Way faster, yeah. like way faster. And I didn't realise this. I used to feel hungry I used to, by feeling a bit lightheaded. And I would be like, oh, I think I need to eat. And then suddenly my stomach starts grumbling and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like that's what it feels like to be hungry. But I forgot that that's yeah. like I would never get a stomach grumbling. And so like in the process of um, getting better, I would get a lot of night sweats and I would be like, what the heck is happening? And my GP was like, well, it could be the antidepressant. They can do that. But she was like, I actually think it's your metabolism waking up and it all happens when you sleep. So I would wake up in the middle of the night really hungry and really sweaty. And I was like, what is happening? And she's like, these are good things. Like, don't, you know, freak. She's like, but if you're hungry, like get up and eat something, have some food ready to go. Like whether it's like a music bar or a banana, just have food like ready that you can eat if you are really hungry and your body needs it. But it's just like, I, like I remember being in high school and, and girls and it's just, it's literally just things that you need to like delete out of your brain. But girls being like, hungry is good. Like if you're hungry, hungry. have a sip of water. Yeah. If you're hungry, drink some water. Have some hungry, chili. Like, yeah, like, yeah. You're exactly. actually just thirsty. You're not you're hungry. Just thirsty. Just have you're not hungry. Like, these are like the things that would, would go in my head before when I would get hungry. I'd be like, 
like, oh no, it's good. Hunger's good. But it's like, no, it's not. Your, hunger, your body's hungry. It's telling you something. And I noticed now that before I get my period, super hungry. Oh yeah. Just want to eat everything. And then you think about it. It's like, well, yeah, because in two days' time, your body's going to be like working totally hard, trying to do all <laughs> But this do you stuff. feel like beforehand, like did you always still get your period? Yes, I never lost my period, which I'm very grateful for. I know people that are in the same boat as me that haven't had their period for years. Yeah. And trying to get it back is, is really, you know, it can be quite very difficult. So I never lost my period. But I did notice that it doesn't hurt as much now, which is interesting. Oh. So I used to get really bad period pain, like very bad, but now it doesn't last as long. It seems to be a lot more, I don't know, it's just definitely different. I've, I've noticed that it's different, but yeah, it's, it's incredible, like just what your body can do. And another eating disorder is anorexia. And you said that yeah. you actually got to that point. Can you just explain the difference between bulimia and anorexia? Yeah, so anorexia is when you get to a really low BMI or, or really low weight, so you're very underweight. Bulimia is where you eat and throw up. Anorexia generally, like you don't eat, or if you do, you're not eating a lot. I had both. I was anorexia and bulimic, so I was I wasn't eating a lot, and then I was throwing up everything I was eating. Plus, I was like over exercising, so a lot of people with anorexia generally do a lot of exercise as well. So yeah. And the difference, I suppose, in the two is that is really how you look. Someone with bulimia looks normal, you know, can be overweight, can be like, you know, just can be a size 14, can be a size 10. You wouldn't even know. Like it's so hard to to detect bulimia in just like an average person. Anorexia is a lot more, is really defined by the way you look, I suppose. There is also atypical anorexia, which is anorexia that doesn't look like anorexia. So um, my official diagnosis was atypical anorexia with bulimic tendencies. So I was still eating under uh, like not enough. So I wasn't eating enough and then I was throwing that up. And so the atypical anorexia is, yeah, is, is, is anorexia that doesn't look like anorexia. But my heart rate was always low. I always had a really low heart rate, always had really low blood pressure, totally thought that was normal. Now my resting heart rate is like, 20 beats per minute higher than it was wow. before. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I didn't realize. Yeah, so my resting heart rate before was like 40 or yeah. 40 or 50 something. And now it's like 68. And I have to get blood pressure tests done like fortnightly with my GP. And at the start, it was like my blood pressure was super low. And now she's always like, your blood pressure is great. Like everything is like, you know, it's, it's great. Like your body is actually repairing itself. So yeah, it's, it's amazing how like the body can And this might be a silly question, but was your aim when you were throwing up, was it to be skinny or was it to have control over something? 100% to be skinny. Yeah. So yeah, I just wanted to look like the other kids in my class that were little and you know, I understand body shapes now, like everyone has a different body shape and everyone's a bit different. But, you know, I think for me, I just wanted to be really skinny. In high school, I used to be really obsessed. Like I would, what, collarbones was yeah. like the thing. And well, I we all grew up in the 90s. And, like, yes, you are only worthy Sadly, if you it's had coming back. Actually, on the topic of that, what are your thoughts on the heroin chic heroin coming back? Heroin chic, yeah, I just think it's awful and I think it's, I was actually literally like a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to my sister and I, we were saying like, how great is it that Willow gets to grow up in this world with this body positivity, there's brown people on TV, there's plus size people on TV, there's everyone, like everyone's like, there's there's gay presenters, there's, you know, there's like, it's just, it's amazing. Like, you know, growing up in a world where like everyone is accepted, I'm like, this is amazing. And then this happens. And the first thing I thought, um, there was like a New York Post and like Kim Kardashian and Khloe Kardashian were like the pictures in it. And I just remember thinking that on the Met Gala carpet, she boasted about the fact that she starved herself to fit into that, fit into dress. that dress. Yeah. It was that she, all she ate was like tomatoes and soup or whatever. And that she was going to go home and binge on donuts that night. And I just remember thinking like so many like yeah, red, red flags. flags here. And then the reality is she's never lost. She never get, she's never gained her weight back from that. So she got really thin for that and then has never actually gone back to her, her normal. So I think that speaks volumes to people without actually, you know, her needing to say anything. The fact that she's so skinny and so many people look up to her. But, you know, on the flip side, I think like these women have 
access to so many things that we don't like surgeons and personal chefs and all sorts of things but it's like that's like their normal is not our normal and I just remember growing up in the night, like in the early 2000s when it was like Nicole Richie and Lindsay Lohan. Do you remember that? <laughs> and Paris Hilton, that. Yeah. And I remember there was like an article called like Skinny Sisters or something. It was like the front page of like one of those magazines. And I actually pinned that photo on my treadmill because I wanted to look oh, like that. Oh, my gosh. And that's, and I just, and it, like now I'm like, that's so unhealthy. That's so not, it's really not great all the health implications that come with it. And yeah, now that it's coming back, I just feel so sad for all the eating disorders that potentially are about to, you know, come to life. But and it doesn't need to come back. Like it doesn't need to be reported like no, that. There's doesn't. still people existing in this world of every body type. It's just ridiculous headlines like that. Media. That turn female bodies into trends. And it's like, yes, yeah. okay, maybe Chloe and Kim are currently skinnier than they were before, but like other women exist in the world who and it's actually not helpful for anyone calling it heroin chic like I've seen a lot of the commentary around it it's not helpful for those who naturally quite that are naturally small too who it's like oh well yeah you look like yeah it's horrible you have a heroin addiction because you're it's just not helpful for anyone and and like we just can't give this reporting the time of day and I know that's so much easier said than done but like we never speak about men's bodies as a trend women's bodies should not be a trend it's true it's 100% true and like companies capitalize off weight loss gummies and and all sorts of ridiculous things and I just you know I think for me the whole messaging should be strong bodies as opposed to and and strong looks different for everyone you know what strong looks like to me might look different for someone that's naturally petite it might look different for someone that's naturally broader like I think for me growing up exercise was about losing weight and so I hated it because it was like you exercise to lose weight and that was the whole messaging around it it wasn't about it was a punishment. Exercising. It wasn't it was a, a punishment. reward yeah. for your body, yeah. And and then it was like, or if you had eaten a certain food, well, you better exercise because yeah. you've eaten that. Whereas now it's like I exercise because it makes me feel good and it's it's actually amazing it's, for my It's changed you know, and I feel like that's changed. us in this generation and what's happening now is that we're realising that we can talk about mental health and we can talk about eating disorders and we can talk about what actually makes you feel good and I don't know that I really love being in this time now. This Same. this is where Same. I'm I'm really glad that my kids are growing up and we're having conversations about it. Same. Yeah, like I like literally as I was thinking like oh how great that my daughter gets to grow up with this but then I was like I also am so grateful that I'm a mum in this season yeah. because like I can cultivate these conversations we can talk about you know when I go to Pilates in the morning and Willow's like why do you always go to Pilates like why do you love it so much I'm like because it's really good for my brain I'm like it's really good and it's definitely not perfect as we said about the heroin chic headlines it's not perfect but if we look at the progress and there's still progress to be done like that headline came out and there has been so much uproar over that headline Back in the day, I remember you would walk into a newsagent and every single women's magazine would have a before and after, either a woman who had gained weight or a woman who had a suspected eating disorder. And it was every single cover and you would not bat an eyelid over it. You would just go, oh, my God, da-da-da-da's let themselves go or whatever and that was the norm whereas at least nowadays hopefully when journalists or whoever try and go down that path hopefully there continues to be the uproar over it because we're learning it's just not a conversation that we need to be having about women's bodies men's bodies we all change we all go through seasons of life we yeah and it's really interesting I was talking to a friend and um who had also had a very similar diagnosis. It's funny, like, people that you know that are, like, yeah. asking you both up about it and they're like, I've gone through the same. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I had no, like, you know, they had no idea about me. I had no idea about them. It's all very secretive. And um, and she was actually saying that she was talking to a therapist and she was saying, 
And obviously in the process of getting better, you do go through this weight redistribution. So your body puts on weight in areas that it needs to. For example, for me, it's all in my middle area because that's where all your, you know, vital organs are. So yeah. while it's healing your vital organs. So it's not funny, but yeah, they are yeah, vital. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they are vital. And so I remember I was like to my GP, I'm like, how long does, and, she, and they were like, you know, like if this wasn't happening, we'd be concerned. Like it's good that it's happening. You just have to let it do its thing. And um, we were having this conversation about that and she was like, you know, people that are diagnosed with cancer or elderly people, like they start to get frail and and all they want is a little bit of extra weight in their body to help with, you know, and and I know like I've had two aunties pass away from cancer and at the end they were just so frail and, and the thing for them was like, I remember like people being like, if we could just get them to eat, maybe we'd get a little bit more out of them. And it's like what I am like being so like, oh, but how long is this going to last for? It's like I should be so grateful that my body is working and that it's doing what it needs to do in order to, in order to support my healing journey, I suppose. Yeah. And like it's just putting that into perspective of like, you know, someone in different shoes right now would be, would do anything to be able to gain weight and yeah. to be able to, have their organs just naturally totally. heal themselves. So it's like once you put that into perspective, it's like, okay, well, big picture. It's it's all about the big picture, I suppose. But, yeah, I think it's all, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, like I, for my husband, I think it would have been really hard to be married to someone like me dealing with eating disorder. So props to him because I think, and he's been nothing but supportive. But, you know, like we had our challenges in in, in marriage and, and all sorts of things. And I think being open and vulnerable and, yeah, just for him, and I'm sure he'll have no problem with me saying this, but, you know, he's actually had to go to therapy as well. To, I don't um, doubt that. With, I think it yeah. would be really hard because part of you would just be like, just stop. Like, yeah. 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 And so he's gone to therapy and I've gone to therapy and we've done therapy together and therapy separately. And I think to him having someone that he can talk to about all of this stuff as well has been really, really amazing and, and really, really great for him. But I think for people that have partners that are dealing with this, it can be so isolating yeah like you don't know how to have these conversations and you don't know how to like you want them to stop you don't know how to but I think having a professional in your corner just encouraging you and I know for me like I had no capacity to be an encouraging wife because I was so down on myself but to have someone in your corner just giving you encouragement while they're going you know your partner or whoever a family member or whatever is going through the healing process themselves is is really really important and yeah I think it's just, it's amazing. And yeah, if you're in Australia, the mental health plan, eating disorder plan, like the, like the government really do help people. And I will say that if anyone is in um, Melbourne that want to find a good therapist, like I would be more than happy to recommend mine to anyone that doesn't know me personally. <laughs> know me personally, it can be a bit weird. But if you don't know me personally, um, be more than happy to recommend them because they are incredible. And I know it can be really hard to find good help. If you so. know Rochelle personally, the therapist already knows way too much about you to see you as a yes. client. So. <laughs> well, Rochelle, we think you are absolutely amazing. And oh, I, thank I can't you. thank you enough for coming on and sharing and opening up such a vulnerable story. And I think that your kids will be absolutely so better off for having someone that's open and understanding and you're doing the work and that's all we can do. So thank you. Exactly. Thank you, ladies. So glad to be back. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.